Morning, everyone. You are maybe noticing something different about me this week. This is the first time I've worn pants this year, the winter months. Yeah, good one. Now, you know, I thought as we were praying before, imagine if my communication power was in my beard. And now it's gone, like a bit of Samson, you know, the strength's gone and ah, well, we'll see how we go. So is anyone interested in ethics? Morals? Has anyone watched The Good Place? Great show. If you haven't watched it, I recommend you give it a watch. It's about heaven and, and I assume it's theologically sound and correct. That's what it's really like. But in, uh, in the 60s, an ethics professor came up with this uh, question or problem that was derived to discuss, discuss ethics and morals. It's called the trolley problem. Has anyone ever heard of the trolley problem before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And show of hands, anyone heard of the trolley problem? Couple, if you've watched The Good Place, you would have seen an episode on it. But the trolley problem is really interesting because it, it's, a, it's a problem that has two possible outcomes and you need to choose. And so this morning I thought we might see uh, how moral or how ethical we all are. All right? It's a safe place. It's okay. I'll, I'll get involved as well. So we're all... But the trolley problem is this. There's a train heading down the tracks out of control. It's not going to stop. On the track, there's five workers who haven't seen the train. And if the train hits them, it is going to kill them. Now, thankfully or not thankfully, you're standing next to the track and there's a switch. And if you pull that switch, it'll push the train onto a different section of the track. But on that section of the track, there's one person, again, who doesn't know the train's coming and will more than likely be killed if they get hit by the train. And so the question is this, do you pull the switch and sacrifice the one person or do you do nothing and let the train hit the five workers? I know. Now, this is, I don't want to trigger anyone. This is a purely, you know, this isn't real. This isn't real, okay? All right, so by show of hands, who would pull the switch and sacrifice the one? Wow. (laughs) Who would pull the switch and sacrifice? Nice and high, right in the air. You don't know them. It's just a one person. You're choosing the one over... Over the five. So if you do nothing, you haven't intervened, but you've sacrificed five people. They're they're just people. (laughs) No, no, they're just, you know nothing about them. That's the whole point. You, You don't know them, you don't... I don't know. Um, Switzerland, it's... (laughs) All right, so we've established that half of us are willing to sacrifice the one. Half of us are willing to just let the other five be taken. It's very interesting. I bet you're thinking a lot about the person you're sitting next to now, right? (laughs) So it's an interesting question. But the thing with ethics professors and psychologists is they're pretty twisted, right? And so... There's many different forms of the question, many different things you can do to manipulate it and see how far someone is willing to go. 
So this is a question now for everyone who put their hand up, right? Similar scenario, the train is heading down the track. Five people, you don't know them, but if they get hit by the train, they're going to die. This time, there's not a second track, but you're on a bridge over the track, and you're standing next to a large person. Now, if, you, if that person hit the train, then the train would stop and you would save the five. Now, I want to ask again, would you sacrifice the one to save the five? Show of hands. Anyone who put their hand up before? Still yes? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's not my intent. <laughs> but it's an interesting question, right? A second ago, when, when we were distant from it, all we did was pull a switch to sacrifice one person. That makes sense. It's one for five. But when it's personal, when you have to make a physical choice to sacrifice someone, it changes things. I mean, a couple of people still put their hands up, which is really troubling. Now, I'm not going to go on about it too much more, but people go really far with this. You know, they... They'll go, okay, you're at the, the switch again. There's five people. There's the one, but the one is a family member of yours. Do you still pull that switch? It, all these really interesting ethical and moral questions. Good. All right. This morning, we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 8. We're going to read from verses 40 to 52. Now, it sounds like a lot, but they're big numbers, so it makes it sound worse than it is. All right, so on the side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they have been waiting for him. I'll read from here. A man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went to him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years from constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, and I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell at Jesus' feet in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Do not be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone else go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, Stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. 
At that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we, just, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts, you would open our, open our minds to, to receive from you. Um, we know you're in this place. We can feel you here this morning, Lord. Um, we just pray that as we uh, go through the word together, Lord, that, yeah, you would just reveal uh, new truths to us, new things that you want us to hear. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, interesting story, right? It's a story of incredible faith. But what's really interesting from the top, right, is they're two very different people, Jairus and the woman with no name. I thought about maybe giving her a name for the purpose of the sermon, but then it gets too personal and it's already gotten kind of dark, so let's just leave it as Jairus and the woman. But they're very different people. Jairus is a synagogue leader, right? So he's in charge. He's a, a lay worker in charge of the spiritual running of, of the church, but also the, the business, the day-to-day stuff, a real biblical nath, if you will. He was a relatively well-off person. Uh, we don't know much about him from the story, but if he's a synagogue leader, he's not sleeping on the street. He's <laughs> just like Nath, lives in a house, doesn't sleep on the street, all of that, <laughs> all of that stuff. So he's a pretty well-off person, quite well-known in the community. Uh, now, these are all things that we're just uh, assuming the fact that he's a synagogue leader. The woman, on the other hand, was an outcast. Now, if you've been bleeding for 12 years, and, and if you've been around for a while, you would have heard this story spoken about before. Not only did it make her physically unclean, no one wanted to spend time with her, but it made her ceremonially unclean, the fact that she had been bleeding for this long, so she couldn't participate in the Jewish rituals and, and things that they did in the day. And furthermore, because she was ceremonially unclean, if someone touched her, then it was understood that they too would become ceremonially unclean and not able to participate in the Jewish customs and rituals. So she was an outcast. For 12 years, she was on her own. We understand that her family disowned her. She was on her own. Two very different people. But I I think this story serves to remind us that it actually doesn't matter who we are or where we've come from or what we've done. Hard times can come on us. Hard times can come. But also, we can show incredible faith no matter who we are. When, When those hard times come, we don't need to be a synagogue leader. We don't need to be someone who's studied the Word and, and, you know, is in charge of a church to have incredible faith. We have incredible faith because we have a conviction that God loves us and is powerful enough to change our story. And it also serves to remind us that it doesn't matter who we are or what we do, sometimes hard stuff can still happen to us. It doesn't matter how well we try and shape our lives, how much we read our Bible or how much we give to osums, right? Bad things can still happen to us. But when we're rooted in God and and when we have faith, those hard times are a little bit easier. Although... They were different people that had faith in the same God, and so the outcome was the same. 
No matter how broken we are, that's another thing about this story. We see two very different people, different situations, coming from different places, but one similarity is that they are both extremely broken. Again, for different reasons. Jairus, again, a man of good standing, his daughter was sick. Now, you don't have to be a parent to put yourself in his shoes, right? It could be a daughter, it could be a loved one, someone that you would do anything for to save. He came desperately to Jesus. He fell on his feet. He fell at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you're a synagogue leader, you don't go and fall at people's feet. They come to you, right, for help. He went to Jesus in a desperate state and fell on his knees because his loved one was desperately ill. The woman, again, we know was an outcast. We know that she didn't have friends or family that were close to her. And, and in the English Standard Version, it actually says that she'd spent her entire life savings trying to be healed. She'd spent her entire life savings going to physician after physician for 12 years and actually suffered greatly at the hands of physicians. I, was re- I didn't put any notes in here about it because I didn't think it was relevant, but now that I'm here, I just think about what medicine was back then, right? Think about what medicine was it was, you go home and, and if you rub some ginger with some lemon on a vine leaf, then you'll fix it, right? That, like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but genuinely, that's what it was. And every physician had their own thing for dealing with her ailment. And actually, she suffered greatly at the hands of doctors. She was incredibly broken. She was on her last breath. They both came in a broken state and and I think, I don't even think, my second point this morning is this, that sometimes we have to be broken before we can see breakthrough, right? Because before we're broken, there's still an element of I, I can fix this, right? There's an element of if I can just do this better, then it's going to be okay. Or if I can stop doing this, everything will be fine. But when we look at it through the lens of faith and when we have faith in a God that we know is over everything, it goes from I to Him. The story changes if He could just see me. If I can get in front of Jesus, He'll see me. He will change my story. If I can just get Him to come to my house, He will change this story. Now, there are times where I think we need I and him. I can weather this storm if he is helping me. But until we're broken, sometimes I feel like there's an element of I can fix this. I don't need him. But how good that that God does see us. The crowd of people was so great. They were pushing against him. She reaches out and touches him and he goes, I see you. And he turns around and he says, who touched me, right? But let's be honest. If we believe that the woman was healed by simply touching his robe, he knew who touched her, him. He, he knew that she was the one that had touched him, but he uses that opportunity to, to say, you touched me and you are healed. Everyone in the crowd now knows that you are healed. It's not something that you need to tell them. I've told them for you. 
because Jesus saw her in that moment. I'm going to invite Dan to come, but we're only, we're not there yet, but you know. But this is my last point. Imagine if either of them had turned around. There was more than enough opportunity and more than enough reason for both the people in this story to have left. Jesus was mobbed by people when he got to the other side of the shore. And and I think sometimes the translations don't do it justice enough. Verse 42, as Jesus was as Jesus went, he was surrounded by crowds. Now, the Greek translation for that word surrounded was to choke utterly as weeds to plants a crowd upon him. People, right, pushed up shoulder to shoulder. There's no breathing space. I was trying to think of a good example in Adelaide, but I don't go to a lot of sporting events, so I don't know. But one time I went to Marvel Stadium and had to go and get on the train afterwards. And there's no stopping. Once you're in that crowd of people moving to the train in Melbourne, you're getting on the train, whether you wanted to or not. You're leaving. There is shoulder to shoulder people. You are choked by people. Not to mention the fact that she was an outcast. She wasn't welcomed in that crowd. More than enough reason for her to go, actually, this is too hard today. I'll try again another day. Jairus, well, looking at the story from a high level, he failed. His whole thing was to go there and get Jesus to come to his house to save his daughter. And on the way, he gets a message that says, your daughter's died. There is no point in doing this anymore. If that was me, I'd probably leave. I, there's no point in me being in here anymore because what I set out to achieve is not achievable. And I wonder this morning if, if we sometimes just, whether we do it to ourselves, right? Whether we, whether we leave because it's too hard before we even get to the point of breakthrough. We can be broken and, and come to church every week and we see, the, we see people get healed and we see people have breakthroughs and God's doing something in this church, right? The last few weeks, we've seen incredible breakthrough in people. But I wonder if you're someone who sits there and, and sort of writes himself off before they even get there. That person needs the, I know their story. They need prayer more than I do this morning. Or there's too many people praying, oh wait, there'll be another opportunity another day. Do we write ourselves off before we even get to the point of breakthrough? Incredible faith, the faith shown by the two people in this story is is persistent faith. That's what makes it incredible. We have faith in a God who can heal us and who can change our story. And if we're persistent, we see breakthrough. There's a quote, where your faith comes from determines when it runs out. Where we, where we look to draw from determines when it runs out. And, and if we look to us and we look to I, well, it's probably going to run out pretty quickly. I, I shared this morning in prayer, we get tired. We get sad. We get angry. And if, and if the healing and if the breakthrough is going to come from us, I, 
pretty sure that it's going to run out quicker than you think. But when our faith is in a God that's been tested and proven and, and is above all things, well, then it's going to last as long as we put it there. As long as our eyes are fixed on Him, our faith will remain. And in this story, the incredible faith of Jairus and the woman saw them healed. It didn't matter who they were. They didn't cast themselves out. They persisted. They had breakthrough with Jesus. This is where we're going to land this morning, but... The trolley problem is thought-provoking because our actions have a consequence. We are making a choice and there is only two outcomes. Choose one to save the other. But I want to remind us this morning that Jesus doesn't have to choose, right? Like when we look at problems through our own humanness, of course we would see despair because we're human. Our Actions have consequences. There's only one finite outcome. But for Jesus, He's presented with a trolley problem in this story, right? Come to my daughter who needs you. He gets caught up on the way. Imagine how angry Jairus would have been at this woman. We're on the way to save my daughter and you stopped to help this woman and and talk to her and whatever else. We're doing something here. Let's go. Jesus is presented with a a trolley problem and He says, actually, no, that that doesn't apply to me. We have a God who sees us and a God who is tested and proven to change people's story. He doesn't have to choose. And not to mention the one time He did have to choose, He sacrificed His family member to save us, right? That's... We're about to move into Easter where we see the story of Jesus dying on the cross for each of us. He doesn't have to choose me over you or you over someone else. We've seen some incredible breakthrough in the last couple of weeks and I know that God is doing something in this place. And so this morning I wanted to make it easy, as easy as we possibly could for everyone to, everyone that has a bold prayer that, that has faith that needs to be that needs to be exercised this morning. We're going to make it as easy as we can. I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you have a bold prayer, if you're coming in desperation before Jesus, you don't have to come to the front. You don't have to line up. You don't have to wait for someone to be free. It's a simple invite. And so if that's you this morning, if you've got a bold prayer, I just invite you to stand where you are. believe that this church family is together for a reason. And so if you're near one of these people, please stand and and let's pray with them together. And if you need to move from the back of the room, wherever it is, let's gather around. Let's just spend a few minutes in prayer. Lift your voices for the person that you're with. Jesus, we just pray this morning that as we're gathered together as a church and as we pray for one another, that you would just bring breakthrough in this place, Lord. We come with 
bold, persistent prayer. A faith that is extraordinary and, and a faith that is in You, Lord. Not a faith that's in us to fix something, a faith that's in You. Let's just pray for a minute.